Thank you for tuning in to School Mental Health, Beacons of Hope, where we gather diverse perspectives on creating inclusive school communities to support students. This podcast is brought to you by Erica's Lighthouse and hosted by me, Brandon Combs, Executive Director. Today's topic is anxiety and the continuum of mental health challenges, featuring Sally Stevens, a school social worker from Los Angeles County, California. Sally recently released a book, Social Anxiety Workbook for Teens, 10-Minute Methods to Reduce Stress and Gain Confidence. Sally, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No, so you've been a longtime partner of Erica's Lighthouse in your role with your school district, and now you're setting off into a new endeavor in addition to your current work, and you have written a new book that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into it, icebreaker question, really want to know what your favorite fruit is. So I feel like I have two, uh, watermelon always, I love watermelon in the summer, I feel like yeah, I feel like I would like to eat it more often, actually. And then strawberries. I love strawberries in the morning or even warmed up as a nutritious dessert. Yeah. But well, you're in California, so you have some amazing produce, including those two. As a Southern Indiana boy where strawberries and watermelon are both very, very um, prevalent and popular, um, you're speaking to my fruit heart as well. So I appreciate that. But with that, let's go ahead and get into talking a little bit about your new book. So you, um, we're excited about it. It's definitely within our wheelhouse, but I think coming from a uh, school-based mental health professional writing this book um, is really phenomenal, but it's called Social Anxiety Workbook for Teens, 10-Minute Methods to Reduce Stress and Gain Confidence, uh, available on Amazon, along with many other places. But I would love to hear a little bit kind of what brought you to writing this and then tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, kind of, I feel like it wasn't the most organic pathway, but every year I set like a few professional goals. Um, And I had noticed my professional goals for the last like five years at that point, literally said write a book. And so I was sitting there and I was like, I really need to evaluate this because this has been a wish for five years because I've done nothing with it. So I um, I really kind of thought like, what is going to be my path to writing the book? Um, and I like was in touch with the publisher and they reached out. And so that's it kind of, kind of came about. Um, and I feel like I've been passionate about uh, anxiety and depression equally. I will be honest. That's why I love Erica's Lighthouse. Um, and so I feel like social anxiety, it's kind of funny when I was writing the book, I was like, I feel like we all struggle with social anxiety at one point in our youth. Um, and then sometimes I feel, feel like it still impacts me you know, now. Um, and not necessarily in a debilitating fashion, but I do feel like we, we, sometimes we need to acknowledge like, oh, I'm having a little anxiety right now and it's okay not to be okay in this moment. Um, so I feel like I really wanted to write a book that was tangible, like that had like real life experiences. So part of like the opening part is a lot of psychoeducation on what is social anxiety and, you know, how does it work and how does that impact your brain? Because I, one thing is with this book, I'm kind of hoping for some destigmatization because I do feel like that's the the common misconcept of, um, you know, physical health, we all go to the doctor, but mental health, we don't all go, uh, you know, see a therapist or a mental health professional um, when we are having bouts of anxiety or depression. Um, so the first 
component of it was I really wanted to provide that psychoeducation and in language that like is palatable, like a teen, you know, the book is really geared towards teens and young adults, like college uh, young adults, um, because I really feel like those that, those are the times when you're struggling the most of finding yourself and understanding and, you know, your body's going through so many changes and just different stages and relationships, I feel like from your parents to your peers to professors to teachers, um, just a lot of different systems in play. I feel like. Um, so really the goal was then to develop what are real life strategies that people can kind of take away with and in a manageable amount of time. So that's why everything is about 10 minutes because I feel like I could do anything for 10 minutes, right? This is even how I like work out. I'm like, okay, you could do this just 10 minutes um, just to kind of make those small changes that are going to hopefully have lasting effects. Uh, and the whole goal I feel like is, you know, I can't make anxiety go away but I'm hoping that I can provide some tools to help you manage your anxiety going forward. So it's not impacting you in the same, same way it was prior. Yeah. And this is, I think even more prevalent even today, even though, you know, social distancing and we're having even less of it, but this, you know, zoom fatigue or the fear of how am I going to look on a screen or what does this look like? I'm I know you're seeing this in your school district for sure, because um, yeah. we've talked about it offside. But um, can you give us like a couple examples of some of the exercises that even teens could benefit now, even if they're not necessarily going into a classroom setting where they're going to be surrounded by peers, but there's still that social anxiety is still very real in this new world of Zoom, if you will. Yeah, no, I. it's so funny. I feel like even on Zoom, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Is this okay? Are my glasses on? Um, I don't feel like I ever cared about my appearance more. Until Video images are forever, um, right? So. <laughs> so I think part of it is uh, I recommend sometimes to like turn off the view that you see yourself because never in our lives are we having a mirror in front of us the entire time. So it's like one simple thing I've been recommending to people. Um, I also recommend like one of the exercises is like using a mirror to kind of have conversations. Um, that way you are able to kind of regulate yourself, but you're also able to hear and see your own face, which I actually feel like would transfer over to the zone. So when you're looking to have a difficult conversation or draw a boundary, um, a mirror is a great way to practice. And I even talk about like doing it when you're doing a presentation, right? Like I think that's a great way to, um, to practice doing a presentation is to present it in the mirror. And then that way you're also able to reflect on yourself to see if your disposition is kind of matching what you're going for. Because I know when I'm nervous, I tend to like overly smile, right? And then so it's like, do you wanna look like this the whole time? <laughs> when you're doing a presentation. So I think part of it is just kind of building that awareness and then you have the evidence to see it's not as bad as I had envisioned, right? So I think oftentimes our fear will paint this picture um, and then we build up this anticipatory anxiety where that's just like it's building, building, building. And then the actual thing, we've built it to be this big, scary thing in our brain. But if we can kind of take those steps to go, OK, I've practiced this. I've done this. Like I can, I can do this. And then hopefully more and more uh, you're going to have success. So, yeah. So the book came out during quarantine, which I feel like is kind of funny. Like it's it's just ironic that I wrote a book on, you know, social anxiety when we can't even be social. Um, but I also feel like going to the store, I get like a little anxious even too sometimes where I'm like, I need, I need your mask like over your nose. I need you a little bit away from me, please. Um, so there's even some uh, 
some exercises in there, like on ordering at restaurants or making small talk, because I do feel even more like I can't ask for a question in the store, like what's the appropriate level of socialization even when we're out. So there are definitely several exercises in there that kind of help you practice like ordering at a restaurant and making small decisions uh, when you're in a social environment. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And I know, you know, of course, uh, we're recording this in November. So the holidays are coming up and I know you have a little teaser coming out. I hope I can say that now um, yeah. as well for people. So do you want to share that a little bit? Yeah, so we're, um, I'm co-writing a book with my uh, colleague, Sheree Hudson, who actually, um, we met Erica's Lighthouse together. Um, so that's kind of an interesting fun fact. Uh, we're writing a book on stress in the holidays because usually that's when all of us are feeling just the stress and the pressure of, uh, you know, family, external things, work, uh, taking off, present buying, all of it, you know, whichever culture you are, you're going to feel some, some level of stress during the holidays. So uh, it's going to be just a quick little ebook and kind of on the same concept. Uh, this is a little bit more visual, almost like a magazine, I want to say, but then it's having those small tangible exercises that you could practice. So one of the things is, you know, when you're, when you're out and you're shopping and you're going through things, especially now, I feel like with, uh, you know, the social distancing, I feel like running errands is more mental energy and cognitive labor than it would have been prior uh, to March. And so we put like, you know, strategize your stores, like think about like, these are the stores I'm going to go to. And then these are the lists. And then what are the order? And maybe even now, sometimes I do this where it's like, if I could get that at Target, or if I could get that at another store, even though it might be a dollar more, I'm going to skip that extra errand for myself because it's just less stress. Yeah, so a little really down payment can... right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think kind of just like strategizing for your own self and making the plan will also eliminate the stress of doing all the things. Um, and I think taking the time to like put things to be organized is really helpful to kind of say to your anxiety, hey, you know what? We got this because we've got our list going. And if we need to add on once we get there, then we can add on as well. Yeah, I think that's great, particularly now. I mean, we're coming off of very challenging time with the pandemic and incredibly charged election cycle where I know, you yes. know all of us are questioning going home and seeing our families after this, no matter what side anybody is currently on or their family members are on. So I know any exercises or skills to kind of reduce our stress load as we prepare for what that could look like. Um, or even the added stress of, will that look like anything this year with a pandemic and will we still be able to travel? So a lot of uncertainty and I know that those will be hugely helpful resources as we move forward. So one of the things is this book really focuses on anxiety, but I know you really have a keen interest in supporting all students really kind of surrounding mental health. So what is really driving you professionally as a school social worker as well? Yeah, so I, I probably say this every day, everyone needs a social worker, not only because we're a fun time, but we've we've got the skills to help you, right? Um, I, I like, I wholeheartedly believe that. I wish that when I was in school, I would have had access to a school social worker because I feel like, again, we're, we're working through so many things and, you know, social emotional learning has been like new, I want to say within the last decade, but these are all skills that us as adults can, you know, utilize. We need responsible decision-making. We need social awareness. We need self-awareness. Like we need these things in our lives. And that's partly why I say like everyone needs, everyone needs a, a social worker. Um, 
And I feel like part of it is equity, right? So like, it doesn't just need to be the neediest school, like where my kids go, they could also benefit from a social worker as well. Because again, with that social emotional learning and the things that kids are going through are different than what I went through. I feel like the level of pressure. Um, I always joke like, you know, when we played sports as kids, like you went to your like two day, maybe three day a week practice. But now it's like, it's a full time commitment. I mean, kids are, my kids doing sports. It's like they work a part-time job. I always joke. I'm like, okay, you and your part-time job, this is 15 hours a week, right? So I also feel like just acknowledging that transitioning between um, generations has just added another layer of stress. And I think part to do with that is technology as great as it is, like there's just more and more and more, I feel like of information and things to do that are coming in that, you know, we all are needing support, you know, all the time. And so I feel like if we could teach those things to kids earlier, they're going to manage those things later in life much easier as well. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that brings me really perfectly to the kind of the next area. One thing that I love having conversations with you about Sally is that you're really kind of strongly see this continuum between kids and recognizing, you know, how quickly a teen can go from what might be, you know, a typical mental health state to maybe struggling from some stress that might move on to anxiety, that could move on to depression, that could move on to suicidal ideations. And this really continuum of of a student's mental health care and kind of that importance of either early intervention or getting in and identifying that kid and and helping him out. So how does that really impact your work uh, within a school setting? Yes, I think first and foremost, always prevention intervention is the goal, right? If we can get in early enough, I always joke, like, I want to work myself out of a job. Like the reality of that is probably never going to happen. But really, I feel like that's my true goal is if I can provide as much intervention and prevention and give kids the tools, they're not going to go farther on that continuum, hopefully, right? And, And part of it is, is providing that intervention early enough. And that could be talk therapy or medication, or, you know, getting kids in social groups, right? And, and, in things that are going to be positive within their lives. However, I feel like the hard part is when we have stigma, but then also, you know, you don't go to the doctor for a paper cut, but you definitely go for a broken arm. We don't view mental health in that same way, right? If you had a broken arm, you would be able to see it, you would go. But I often feel like when kids are not feeling comfortable enough even to say, hey, you know what, like, I'm not doing very well, right? And that's okay. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there's so much stigmatization that I feel like kids don't want to reach out. My husband's a teacher and, you know, he had a student reach out to him this last week. It might be two weeks ago, but she kind of disclosed that she was having some depression. And he was like, I, you know, his wife is a social worker. So he instantly goes into action mode. Okay. And he's like, you know, I, I, I want to tell you, I, I received this email and what are the things that I need to do? So I can, I can be the supportive one to help her. And I think that's the component of if we all just had that attitude versus, oh, you're okay, or you're fine, which I also think happens a lot, even for parents, because we want to be the fixers as a parent, like, it's not that bad, you're fine, versus you're having anxiety right now, you're feeling a little sad right now. Okay, what do you need from me? What could I do for you? And the same thing for like, schools and society, right? If we all just kind of took on that attitude of it's okay to not be okay, what do you need? How can we help you? What are the skills that we could get you? Like, we would we'd just be in such a much better place, I feel like. So again, yeah, I just want to work myself out of a job. It might happen. No, and that's great. I mean, you know, utilizing some Erica's Lighthouse language and that, you know, recognizing the 
immense power and capability for an educator to be that trusted adult in a teen's yeah. life that they that that teen is comfortable talking to them and i think so many educators actually have a fear of being the what if I, what if they do come and talk to me you know like i don't want to be and yet at the same time there's such a deep deep trust and respect um for that teen to come to that educator and and bring that up and i think it's important to be sure that we are educating people on the appropriate way to respond, or you don't have to know the appropriate way to respond. Walk them down to the school social worker's office or the yeah, school yeah. counselor's office. Like, let's get them to somebody that that can help them. Um, if you don't feel like you're adequately capable of doing it yourself, so and I think the power of that trusted adult. I mean, we we can all name the teacher we didn't like in school, right? Like instantly, I know I know that teacher right away. But I also feel like we can state the same teacher who invested in us, right? Like I remember my fourth grade teacher told me I was really good at drawing and that was like never a skill I ever thought I had. But like that teacher invested in me to build that resilience of what you're talking about. And so I think too, it's like, if you don't have the answers, that's okay. There's a lot of staff on a campus who could be that supportive person. Yeah. And I think it's always funny looking back, you know, at the teachers that I felt like I really, you know, did not have a connection with and did not like. And then my best friend on the other side is like, oh, I actually love that person. So, right. you yeah. know, it's like there's an educator for everyone and there's an entrusted adult for every, everyone. And so we really do need to prepare everyone, even if we all think that that's the teacher everybody hates. There's somebody's trusted adult in their life. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think being comfortable, being a little uncomfortable in some of those hard conversations. So, you know, my husband was like, I want to make sure I'm doing all the right things. Like I'm going to contact the parent. I'm going to contact the, they have a wellness center at their school. Like he was really like, I want to make sure I hit all the targets. And I think sometimes for educators, it's like, you want me to call the parent? And I'm like, yep, we're going to call, we're going to call whoever their, um, you know, adult is that's taking care of them, grandma, aunt, whoever, to kind to make sure that they're also part of this. Because we often have to provide that like psychoeducation and normalization of like, yes, this is a very stressful time. Uh, I feel like especially working remotely, we don't have kids coming down the hallway and knocking on doors anymore. So it's like we're getting referrals mostly from teachers or mostly from a, from a student, like, you know, emailing or uh, calling and saying, hey, you know what, like I'm having a hard time right now. Yeah. So I think again, I'm sure getting comfortable. Yeah, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing. I mean, one of our biggest challenges and our biggest barriers that we're seeing in our school communities are the parents. I mean, we've got to be onboarding them to uh, inform and educate them about what's happening and that this is real and we need to be taking this seriously and that their their child needs some support. Yeah. So one thing that we're really key about at Erica's Lighthouse is, of course, is this early intervention. And when we talk to school districts, we so frequently will say, you know, what are you doing for kind of early intervention? And they'll give us some amazing layouts for these kind of tier two programs that they're implementing in their schools. And we always come back and have to say, that's really great. These are some great supports, but how are you identifying those kids early enough in the first place? And we occasionally, like we, well, I shouldn't even say occasionally, we quite frequently will get some blank stares from people um, without kind of that process even, even happening. But specifically relating to mental health, kind of why is this early identification, early intervention such a challenge? Yeah, I think partly is because it's not as visible, right? Like, you know, you have a paper cut. I'm going to just relate it to that, right? Like, if, if I could see my paper cut of anxiety and I could treat it before it's infected, like that would that would definitely be the model. But I partly feel like intervention and prevention has been so difficult is because we don't have a, a system across the board, 
right? Like there's no national system of early intervention or prevention. So districts and schools are, um, you know, they, they dictate some of that as well. And I think part of it is the level of need, right? So when we're looking at, you know, even a small elementary school, let's say 800 students. So how, how are we going to build that prevention, early intervention? Are we going to have a social emotional learning program? Are we just delivering at one time? Are we having it all throughout the grades? That's kind of why I like working with Erica's Lighthouse is, you know, you already have two established programs that kids are having that continuum and building those skills and hearing it more than one time, I think is also key, right? We don't just learn our times tables. Oh, by the way, Brandon, you're going to know this for the rest of your life. Two times two is four. And we just say it one time. So I think that's the other component of that prevention intervention is that we need to be doing it multiple times like we're teaching math. Right. So it's like, how are we putting that into an instructional day? And then what does that look like per grade level? Because I feel like I've seen multiple social emotional programs and some are really great, but like it's very like and deliver and fly out. And so I feel like we need to take a little bit less Superman um, component of, OK, here's the need. We're going to fly in, we're going to deliver us and then we fly out. But we really need that consistently consistency, like we're teaching multiplication. So that way kids know, oh, this is hey, when I'm starting to feel this, this is anxiety. These are the tools that I do when I'm having anxiety. This is who I go seek for help. And I feel like really building kids to, you know, seek help is a huge thing. Um, I, I have to say, even as a parent, I'm guilty of that. I feel like my kids will ask me for help to do the dishes, no problem. But like when my son transitioned to high school, he's, he's a gifted kid. He had never had to ask for academic help before in his life. And he was taking trigonometry as a ninth grader. And I said to my husband, oh, my gosh, here we are working education. I'm a mental health you know, provider. He's never been taught how to ask for academic help. We need to teach that same language for mental health help mm -hmm. and to where it can be just so easy to say. It's always I feel like in class. You know, a kid can say, this is hard for me, but how often are we saying, this is causing me anxiety and I need to tell you about this. So I feel like building that help seeking culture across the board is, is key. I agree. You know, we were just having a conversation the other day um, within kind of Erica's Lighthouse staff and it came up all of these conversations that happen in elementary school about talking to a trusted adult, knowing who you go to, whether it's child abuse or sexual abuse or you know what what we used to call when we were kids stranger danger and i don't know how what it's referred yeah. to now and you know going and talking to an adult and then it seems like as soon as elementary is done those conversations seem to really stop like they're not as repetitive we are not having them as frequently as we would have in the past um and i look back at least when i was in high school and even you know looking at high schools today really a lot that help seeking trusted adult language is almost non-existent in so much of our conversation and so much of our language. And so I think it's important for us to really, as you've said, like keep that year after year, let's keep having that conversation and keep that consistency. I think one of the things that I do love about so many of the new social emotional learning programs that are starting off in elementary school and at least continuing through middle school is it's infusing so much of that similar language year after year and i feel like erica's lighthouse is in such a great spot to just be like and you just plop this on top of whatever <laughs> lesson you just had um and it builds on to what you've already done and kind of keeps that conversation going to along that continuum of mental health education which is key 
Yeah, but and like I said, I feel like now we've transitioned that social emotional learning in the last decade, where before, like like I was saying, it, it was more of that like Superman fly and fly. Now we're like, okay, our kids need this. They're not learning to the capacity. So we need to kind of have this more consistently. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, if we could just kind of keep keep the keep that going, like our kids are gonna be much stronger. Yeah. Uh, and keep it infused. I, I'm I'm so impressed with how well school districts are utilizing social emotional learning programming in so many different um, uh, school uh, topics. Um, so being infused into mathematics, infused into language arts, it's not like you're setting down for 15 minutes of SEL one day and then you're done. You know, it's being yeah. infused throughout the entire curriculum and I think that's really exciting, so. One area, and you already hit on it and talked a little bit about your husband, but really from other general educators that, you know, are very upfront, I'm not a mental health professional, I teach math or I teach English, you know, how can they be in a better position to supporting students that may be struggling with mental health challenges? Yeah, I think, like I said, just getting comfortable, being a little uncomfortable. And then knowing you don't have to have all the answers, even as a social worker, like when I train new social workers or even our interns, I always say like, we're working in two systems that are infinite. So I think understanding that as well, like we're always building on education, we're always building on mental health. And so just knowing that you don't have to be the one, right? But you can be the connective tissue to get that student, to get the help that they need or to the place that they need to go. And so I think modeling hey, thank you for coming to me, I think is like a key versus, you know, not me, not today. Um, and, I, and I think part of it is having the boundary of, I, I can't be the one, but I can get you to the place that you need to go. I actually feel like that's something that we need to teach students in general, because I often find students will connect with their friends and then their friends are holding this like heavy level of information. And so I think like that's another component too that is positive modeling when a teacher and educator does that. Hey, you know what, Brandon, I really wanna help you. Thank you so much for trusting me with this information. You, did you know that we have a wellness center on campus? Did you know that we have a school social worker or a school psychologist or school counselor? Because every school looks a little bit differently and they're really great about this. And then I also, love when someone will give like this much self-disclosure. Like I often, you know, all of us again have had some level of anxiety or depression and not necessarily at a clinical level, but I think modeling, hey, you know what, like this class was tough for me too, or I kind of struggled as well. And you know what I did was I talked to somebody or I talked to my mom and just kind of modeling that getting help is normal and a positive thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's just key and just acknowledging like, Thank you for coming to get the help that you need. And I always say like every educator should be a beacon of hope to build that resilience because they're all, none of us in education and are invested financially. We're all invested for the, the for students to get back to a level of service. So I think going back to this is just another level of service. If we can just kind of normalize it, you would connect them no problem to a tutor. This is just going to be the same thing. We're just going to connect for like a mental health tutor, I'm going to say. Yeah, absolutely. We actually have a professional advisory board member who's a mental health professional herself. Um, and she really, I, I always found this fascinating, but she views vulnerability almost like a superpower. Yeah. Um, and being able to leverage that to help other people um, can be so impactful. And I think exactly kind of what you're saying, demonstrating that vulnerability, whether it's an educator or a friend, um, to be able to help kind of bring somebody to the right support system that they need um, to be sure that they can get help. So. In the general kind of broader world of school mental health, 
what can we be doing better? I mean, this is a loaded question, but you know, what can we do to be either more collaborative or more focused or more supportive of students that are struggling? Yeah, I think within the collaboration of us meeting and evaluating um, like what's working and what's not working and how can we fix those gaps, but also taking like that balcony perspective, I feel like of stepping back. Um, and I think, you know, I want to say during this time period, I feel like I've had that benefit to do it professionally in many ways, which is we're building bigger partnerships with you as well, is that, you know, we were looking and we were like, here's the area of need. Well, we can't do nothing, right? And so I think part of it is looking to see where those areas of gaps are and to say, we're going to tackle this this year and we're going to make this a priority across the board. Um, and I think with within education, there's so many systems, right? And so I think it's it's looking at those systems and what are they doing well and how can we bring them together and leverage those resources? So if you have a great partner like Erica's Lighthouse, how can I leverage you even more um, to provide those resources or services, such as like your amazing website for Erica's Lighthouse. I always tell people, okay, you're looking for this. Have you looked on Erica's, uh, you know, Erica's Lighthouse website? Have you looked here? And then what else do you need from me? Because I really do feel like that level of collaboration needs to just be across the board and not necessarily in a way, because I do feel like sometimes this happens where it's like, again, I need to be the owner of this. We don't need to be the owner of this. There are many smart people in a room and what can we take on their talents to build the best program and to have a bigger cohesive system? Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I, you know, Eric's site, we have, a, we have, I'm not gonna, you know, personal opinion, we have some amazing resources and I love what we're doing, but also the very practical reality that we are a small piece of the school mental health pie um, and we need several other partners, people like LA, LAUSD or, and uh, other school districts that we partner with um, other agencies, other partners that have some amazing collaborative programming that works well, whether they're providing SEL supports, um, whether they're tier two programs that can really take the ball that we hand them after our tier one program can go as well. And so I think these conversations are just so key to be having these kinds of diverse perspectives coming in and saying, where are their gaps and where can we be filling people in? Um, and I think that can be really challenging for people. And I think some school districts can, it can be really challenging to say, you know, like I'm not the be all end all and I need, need to bring in some outside partners that can be more efficient at, at supporting what we're trying to do here. Yeah, and I think too, sometimes we even get stuck in that this is the way we've always done it, right? And this is how we've, all, we've always done these things this way and we've always taken this path. And, you know, usually I talk about like, there's so many different ways for, for me to get to Los Angeles, but like, I don't always have to take that same freeway. Like I can take a different freeway to get to the same result or a bigger, better result. And so I think, again, taking that like balcony perspective and going, okay, how, how can we make these systems work for us a little bit more efficiently? And so I, I do think it's, you know, like leveraging those resources within the community and then outside and then going, okay, we have a hole right here. Well, how are we going to fill this hole? And maybe we need to build it. And then mm -hmm. if we're going to build it, are we going to build it by ourselves? Are we the expert or do we need to bring in a partner, a collaborator like Erica's Lighthouse, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think looking at, are, are we having depression education? Well, what else is out there and what are we already providing? So if we're providing this level in social emotional learning, how can we take that same concept and build it forward and get it bigger? And then again, making it more of a cohesive system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that passion that you have, again, going back to kind of the beginning of this conversation of that continuum of a student, you know, we, we operate here in this kind of space, but there's certainly this 
um, too, which yeah. your which your book certainly um, addresses within kind of that anxiety piece. Um, and then your ebook will when we talk about stress and the holidays. But I think you do such a great job of teeing these conversations up um, for your students um, within your district um, to be prepared to have this messaging, which obviously we know is, is vital if we want any any teen to be able to kind of take the information we're giving and, and be able to process it effectively um, and then seek the help that they need um, if they are struggling. And so I appreciate that. So one last question is like even broader, but from this kind of society standpoint, what can we be looking at from a society standpoint to, to be better and to do our jobs better within the school mental health framework? Yeah, I think... I feel like the biggest thing is stigma. I have to say, like, I've been reframing our stay-at-home order for most things because I feel like it's it's very easy to be unhappy with so many things that are going on. But my shining light in all of this is mental health is not in a closet anymore. It's not under my desk. It is out in the open. I can say that we have all have a level of you know somewhat of anxiety during this whole thing and grief and loss, right? Like we are not doing the same things that we were doing previously. And that is a loss. I have been hearing more public service announcements on the radio as if you're having a hard time, if you're needing help, I think we need to have that whole society buy-in that again, mental health doesn't go back into the closet. It doesn't go back under my desk where it's like, it's a, no, it's for that person or that crazy person. Like, I feel like I'm not hearing that word anymore also. So it's like leveraging that common language of, Hey, it's okay to be okay. And then also here's where to go get support because we, we hear on, you know, the, we hear many public service announcements on making sure you're getting your, you know, going to the doctor, doing this, getting your checkup, getting your eyes checked. Here's this. Like, I feel like all those support systems, but we don't have an annual mental health evaluation when we go to the doctor. So I think even just that, right? Like saying, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Even for, you know, in many different facets, I feel like that could be our society versus I feel like when someone asks me, hey, how are you? Especially now I'm like, I'm great. I'm okay. Like, and what I what, sometimes what I usually say is I'm surviving like this week I'm surviving because, you know, with all the things that we're tackling, like you mentioned, we're having, here's like the pandemic stress. Here's the election stress. Here's the regular stress. Here's the level of chores that we all have now that we're stay at home. I'm like, how many dishes can we go through? I think just acknowledging the fact that like, this is impacting all of us and guess what? It's okay. And here are the areas of support that we can do. Um, so I think just, again, even just having like very basic conversations from when you're going to the doctor to your teacher to whatever, and not having the forced statement of, I'm good, I'm great, I'm doing amazing things. Or yeah, this was a tough week for me and it's gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. My favorite is, uh, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling? Well, you know. <laughs> We're moving forward and that's what we can do right now. And that's okay. So. And that's okay. Yeah. Somebody asked me this week and they were like, sorry. And I was like, it's only Tuesday and I'm surviving. Like Monday was rough and Tuesday was busy, partly because we had the holiday and partly because of, you know, all the things that happen within, I feel like our political climate right now has been overwhelming for all of us. And so I think just acknowledging it, Hey, you know what? I'm not perfect this week. And guess what? It's okay. Yeah. So now what do I need to do is I need to make sure I connect with my friends and I do the things that kind of recharge in my life. I, you know, 
take walks every morning to like clear my head. But these, we all have some things that we need to also put in place, I feel like, and kind of normalize that in society too, of what are the things that you're doing to take care of yourself versus that reactionary? Let's have more of that preventative, like, hey, this is what's good for our mental wellness. What if we had PSAs on, um, you know, on commercials? I always tell my husband, that would be amazing if we could just have like these little like mindfulness moments. Instead of you watching, this is what I'm going to tell you. What if yeah. it was 30 yeah. second my meditation, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's all take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Particularly if you're watching CNN or something right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. And even being mindful of that. Hey, you know what? My capacity is not CNN tonight. My capacity is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I'm going to like go have some like throwback fun and just kind of, you know, recharge for the moment. Yeah. And the other thing I would add to about this kind of society discussion that I think is really key and I, I feel like I cannot say it enough and I know that you're in agreement with it. So it's fine. But is that when we're talking about mental health, you know, I think parents, I think educators can sometimes it's it's fearful, but teens want to be having these conversations. Like teens yeah. are interested in engaging these, in these conversations and they're so much more comfortable with it than they ever were before. So I think we are seeing that shift in stigma and it's starting with our youth and we need to really foster and cultivate that so it continues and we don't stifle them as they get older and move into adulthood and to move it back into this like they have to go back into the closet with these conversations. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think that it's so exciting. I think what's happening with younger people and they're just complete, completely more open to this kinds of conversations and having these discussions and recognizing this is a real problem and we need to address it. Yeah, I always tease like my daughter is the best marketing agent for mental health and social work because always in school she's like oh i'm sorry like your grandma died that's grief and loss you should probably talk to a social worker <laughs> oh you're having a hard time you should talk to a social worker <laughs> so yeah. always like a little public service announcement in that way but i think like if we could just have that all the time like of somebody being like hey you're having a hard time and that's okay or also and i think one of the the great part is that teens are talking to each other, but they also need to then go to that trusted adult um, and say, hey, you know what? Like, I am your friend and I do care about you and I can't hold it. I need to get you yeah. to the person who's going to you know, be able to help you with the service. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I hope that uh, we can get your book into more people's hands, more teens' hands, more parents' hands, because they're definitely needing some supports and understanding and kind of what their teen may be going through as well. Um, we will put a link um, into the podcast uh, to at, get the book on Amazon. Um, and then also um, be sure to include that in kind of your bio as well. But Sally, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a true beacon um, and we appreciate your support, um, your passion within the school mental health space. And I know that we will be scheduling you for another video podcast to come back and talk to us soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Great. Thank you, Sally. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us today. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. For more information about Erica's Lighthouse, please visit ericaslighthouse.org. If you have any ideas, suggestions for future topics, or are looking for more information about our programs, please contact me at brandon at ericaslighthouse.org. Have a great day.